If you've been following what we've been doing on Sunday mornings, then you know that we've been considering some some big ideas that we think are given to us by God to sustain us and bless us as anchors through some pretty troubled times. We've talked about Jesus as the revealer of God. We've talked about loving God with all our hearts. We've talked about the centrality of the kingdom, the coming of the Holy Spirit, loving our neighbors as ourselves and the teachings of Jesus as as anchor points where we can hold fast to those and that God will bless us in the midst of some pretty stormy seas. And for this Sunday and the next, I'm going to talk about something that we actually don't talk about in Churches of Christ very much. And that is, I'm going to be talking about the end, about the future, about the end times, about what's going to come at the end. And I I just think that God, with this beautiful end that he has in mind, is going to sustain us and bless us, and strengthen us, embolden us, give us hope as we look toward the end. With the idea that with such a beautiful end coming, that there can only be good things for us in the future in terms of the final end and God blessing us with his strength and power and sustainability. And so we might experience some tough times right now, but in the long run, God is going to bless us. We don't talk about these things very much. Um, And that's probably because so many other people do. Like, I don't know if you've been on television and and watched TV preachers. Now, personally, I kind of like preachers, but I don't really care for TV preachers necessarily, which is kind of ironic because right now, for at least a good portion of our congregation, I'm kind of on TV. But there's nothing I can do about that right now, okay? Okay. So I don't really like being a TV preacher, but I'm kind of a TV preacher right now. One of the reasons I don't necessarily love the TV preachers is because I do find at times that they spend an awful lot of time talking about what's coming at the end. And in fact, have bold plans about what they think is actually coming at the end. And I have a problem with some of that. If, In fact, if you find a teacher a Christian teacher, a preacher, whomever, who has it all worked out, who has all the details well-developed and knows exactly what they're talking about when it comes to the end, then that's a person that you probably should begin to wonder whether or not they have a clue about what's actually going to happen at the end. Because my impression is that everybody, whenever somebody starts telling me how much they know about what's at the end and what's going to happen and the timeline and when all this is going to take place, I begin to wonder if they know at all what they're actually talking about. Because my experience is is almost exactly the opposite. That no matter how much I search the scriptures for firm answers to those things that are coming at the end, I, I can't figure out all the details. In fact, in many ways, I think what we're given is kind of a, a skeletal view of what things are going to be like. Not that we're supposed to fill in the details, but we'll let God fill in the details and bless us with the beautiful picture as it unfolds before us over time. Well, if you're like me, you might also, as you're thinking about the end, think to yourself, at least right now, what in the world is God doing? And I just want to say that just because we can't figure out all those details, it doesn't mean that things are, in fact, out of control. And sometimes I think we we could go there. God, what are you doing? Things seem so out of control. 
But I just want to assure you that no matter what is happening in our world, our Trinitarian God is in fact still in control. And and at this point, somebody should give me an amen. Like, is, is that not the case? That even in the midst of some tumultuous seas, that God is actually in control and God really will triumph. Although complete triumph isn't happening now, and I, don't, I can't stand up and bang my drum about how great everything is, nonetheless, God is, in fact, in control. And I just praise him and I give glory to him for that very fact. So today we're going to look at some things having to do with, with what we call, by the way, eschatology. Sometimes you hear that word, eschatology. What is that? And it simply means last things. The word eschatos, this is like biology or zoology or anything else. All these words come from some Greek root. And in this case, it comes from a Greek root for last things. And so what's going to happen at the end? What's going to be last? Well, eschatology is the study of those things that come in the last. And I just want to share some basic ideas from Scripture here about what I think might be coming for us at the end. And I'm, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture with you this morning. Uh, but if you pay attention, we'll get through this re- relatively quickly. And I think probably get a, a bird's eye kind of view of what God is going to be doing at the end. So what is, what's going to happen here at the end? A couple of things I want us to see. One is first, that God has a goal for his creation. God has a goal for his creation. We're not just floating along with no direction at all. And here's a passage from Isaiah that tells us just exactly this, that there is a goal in mind. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Isn't that a beautiful picture of, of at the end, Humanity turning to God, where God is taking us down a path. We'd all like to say that the world is moving in a direction that the Lord wants us to go. And here, Isaiah says, this is going to happen. And so the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And so right at the end there, what is a major element, church? Tell me, what's a major element of what's coming toward the end? You tell me. What does that look like? Peace. Absolutely. God is taking us. Praise the Lord that God is taking us in the direction of peace. Here we sit so anxious, wondering what's going to happen, which I totally get. I can imagine that my daughter-in-law this morning is wondering what in the world is going on in our world. That, that my uncle would, would contract a disease that would then take his life. But God says he's going to take us in the direction of peace. And so it includes, then, the coming of the peoples of the whole earth to God, learning from him, being taught by him, being in fellowship with him. It ultimately includes peace and justice as he judges between the nations. And so what we're really talking about here is the kingdom of God. You'll remember about three weeks ago, Michael preached on the kingdom of God. And 
Michael actually defined kingdom of God for us. And it's not just, it's not a realm. It's not a group of people. It's more of a a dynamic force. The, The word reign or the word influence or the word impact is much more representative of the kingdom of God than something like a realm or a group of people. And what God wants to do is establish his impact and his reign in our world. So one of the beautiful things about heading someplace, this place that Christ is taking us, is that we actually get to go there with him because we're part of this kingdom. And so you and I get to participate in this kingdom and where it's going. So it might seem at times right now like, where is this all going? And and I feel like just shutting myself up in my house and closing the blinds, putting on a mask maybe even there. And God is saying, Don't just shelter yourself off from the world because there is a role that we have to play, an opportunity that we have to contribute to what it is that God is doing. And so he calls us to be part of this kingdom. We hear the expression kingdom living. And he wants us to live in such a way that we have an impact on our world. So one of the beautiful things that we know about right now is that God is still taking us toward a goal, a goal for all creation, and in that we get to participate. Now, one of the things that's unfortunate is that we recognize that in our world that the kingdom hasn't finally come yet. The kingdom is both present, and yet the kingdom is not yet. It's still on its way. I think Michael even said that in his sermon. The kingdom is here, but it's still not yet. It's it's on its way as well. And the part that says it's on its way means that there is still evil in our world that hasn't been completely overcome. In fact, Here's something that I think is going to happen with the end. I would say that there's actually going to be an increase of evil as we approach the end. Look at this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Of course, some parents would say, well, that's always been the case. You mean my my child is an indication of of this horrible time that's coming? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing, nothing to do with such people. And and I get that these kinds of incidents have always in one sense been there. But my sense is that what Paul's trying to say is that as we head toward the end, things like this are actually going to increase. Here's a passage from 2 Peter. Is it up there? Did it move? There we go. Thank you. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Well, what this means if things are increasing in this way is that there's an even greater calling on our parts to remain steadfast, to work for the sowing of positive things in our world, to work for the good things that God wants to have happen. And so the conversion of others, the discipleship of others, needs to be a priority for us as we look to a world that may well be getting worse than it was before. This is interesting because if you're my age, when you look at where the world is right now, 
I, I think someone like Ernie would probably say this. Someone like Bruce would probably say this. Someone like David Bailey would probably say this. That things actually are not as good right now as they used to be. And, you know, I realize that things go in cycles. It may be that we'll come to a time in our world and in our society when things will actually get better. But right now, as I look at it, I think to myself, things are not actually getting better. They seem to be heading in a direction that I don't like. Which, again, calls us. There's a responsibility that we then have to do something in our world about what's going on. We have an opportunity. If things are getting worse, a calling to respond to what's going on in the world. And in fact, respond with the good news of Jesus and bring it into the world that the world might be transformed in good ways for Christ. Well, a common kind of of expression or the the words we always hear referring to this time that seems to be uh, in the ascension is the notion of the Antichrist coming. Have you heard that? The notion that the Antichrist might be coming? You know, when I was a kid, I remember people talking all the time about how the Antichrist is probably somebody on the world, in the world right now, probably some world leader that we're all uh, should be aware of. And so we looked for the Antichrist to be Hitler for a while. And then we thought the Antichrist was Stalin. And then we thought the Antichrist was Khrushchev. And then it was eventually Gorbachev. Have you noticed the pattern here? I was an American. The Antichrist had to be a Russian. But then everybody else is thinking that the Antichrist is actually Ronald Reagan. And now people are thinking the Antichrist has to be Donald Trump. Which I think is some wrong-headed thinking actually about the Antichrist. And so I'm not really looking for somebody who's going to mark 666 across my forehead, some world leader who's on the verge of arising and going to take me down that path. And part of the reason I, I don't think that is because of what Scripture has to say specifically about the Antichrist. And so as we look at, at a time when maybe things are in fact getting worse, it's interesting to think about what Scripture actually says about something like the Antichrist. And here's what it says. It says, Dear children, This is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And so when did Antichrist then come into the world? Well, at least no later than John. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And so we sometimes say, well, evil has always been present. There have always been those children who are disrespectful of their parents. Well, of course there are. And in fact, Antichrist, the spirit of humanity, as opposed to Christ, has always been present. And so I do think, actually, that the world might be taking a turn. I actually think that things may be changing, and maybe even changing in a negative direction. But am I looking for someone specific, some Antichrist? Not really. 
not as much as I'm paying attention just to the world itself and where it seems to go in a direction away from who Jesus is, which again puts us in a position of responsibility. How are we going to respond to whatever force we think is there that isn't going in the direction of God's kingdom and his righteousness? I think we have some responsibility. We have a role to play, and I think God wants us to enter in and participate in that role. Well, something else that I think is happening right now that we might be going, uh, that we need to see in terms of the end, and that is that the return of Christ is actually assured. Look at these passages, Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of, God, uh, Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then Acts 1.11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And so while things may be headed in a direction that's not very positive right now, We have a beautiful, beautiful event that we're awaiting. Like, I actually believe that one of these these days, Jesus is going to return. I've told you the story about how a few years ago, Peter Roberts and I were hunting up near Vermilion. Remember this? I see some nodding heads. Probably getting to be an old story then. But Peter and I were out in the, in the darkness in the evening looking for an animal. And all of a sudden, out of the sky, we were separated by, I don't know, four or 500 yards in this field. All of a sudden, the sky completely lit up. And where it had been absolutely dark a few moments before, suddenly it was as light as daylight for, I don't know, 10 seconds or something like that. And I could, I could see into the distance just as if it was Totally day. And Peter told me later that his first thought was, it's Jesus, and he's coming back. Now, as it turned out, the preacher wasn't near as faithful as that. It, it, it was a meteor, but my first thought when I saw the meteor over my right shoulder and it was so bright, my first thought was, somebody has just shot a flare into the sky. So Peter, the youth minister, was thinking to himself, it's the Lord's return, hallelujah. And I was thinking, boy, that guy's kind of bugging my hunt. So if this is the case, that Jesus is really going to return, which I absolutely believe, if I believe that Jesus has power over the principalities and power of this world, then I actually shouldn't be too worried ultimately about what's going to come with the future. Because Jesus is, in fact, going to return. And we need to be waiting. We need to be praying that that's the case. And again, in anticipation of that, God is calling us to respond to who Jesus is and his coming with some action that might be parallel to what needs to happen in response to this good time that's coming. 
So all these things so far have called us to some kind of responsibility because of what God is doing in the end. And this one is no different. The next principle is the notion of judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You know, surprisingly, those of us who are Christians are actually going to be present at the judgment. And in fact, this text and some other texts say that we will, in fact, be judged. But this passage, Romans 2, 5 through 10, I won't take the time to read all of this, but it too talks about the stubbornness of the world and the judgment that's coming on the world. And, and we are, in fact, going to experience something of the judgment, even though we stand in Christ. Now, at one level, concerning Christ and because of Christ, he's already extended his judgment to us. And so the fact is, I'm not worried about my salvation. In fact, I'm not worried about what judgment is going to bring in terms of whether I'm saved or lost. I haven't rejected the truth of Christ. And my sense is in Scripture that this is really the basis on which salvation is received or not received. It has to do with what you do with Jesus, not so much the conformity of our lives exactly to God's will. But at the same time, there is a judgment that is coming. And this is one of those points in which I'd love to be able to say that I perfectly understand what God is doing, but the fact is, I don't. There are some things that I think could be coming with the judgment, even for those who stand in Christ, which could be of benefit, but I wonder about it. And so I wonder things like this. You know how you turn in a paper to a professor or to a teacher, and after a while you get that paper back. What's the first thing you do when you get that paper back? You check your mark. That's coming from somebody who's just finished at Alberta Bible College and has been checking her marks now for a couple of years. Okay? Yeah, you get a paperback. The first thing that you do is you check your mark, and you see at the end, did I get an 80 or a 90 or a 70 or a 50? Or what did I get? Well, we just checked our grade. And now that we know our grade, what do you do then? Well, if you're the student you should be, You'll take that paper and you'll start sorting through it and see all the marks that the teacher has made. All the corrections that are being made in your paper so that the next time you can do better. Well, the analogy is going to break down because there's no next time on which we're going to have a chance to do better. So that doesn't really work. But nonetheless, once you've got your mark and you know that you're saved, Once you realize that it's in Jesus that we find salvation, is there's not something positive that still could come out of our checking our marks and seeing how we've done in life. And my sense is this might be what's happening with the judgment. Like, I think it's possible that God is still going to judge us. In fact, I think it's possible that God is going to still evaluate and look at the lives that we've lived And what's going to happen is that every one of us is going to be found wanting. Nobody is going to go through the judgment and God at the end say, fantastic, you were perfect. You lived exactly the way that I would want you to live. Instead, God's going to look at Carl Roberts and say, Carl, you're a great guy. But there were some problems. 
And he's going to look at Keith and say, Keith, on the outside, you're really, really strong. On the inside, not as much as I had hoped. And then, in response to the judgment that Carl's going to receive or that Keith's going to receive and that Kelly is going to receive, the evaluation of our lives in response to that, God is going to say, despite the fact that that's how you actually lived, I love you and I care for you and I'm embracing you and I'm accepting you and you are still my child. And what's going to happen is that God is going to be glorified through the very judgment that we receive. Because God's going to judge Carl, he's going to judge Keith, he's going to judge Kelly, and now everybody else's name starts with a K. And he's going to, he's going to evaluate us, and then he's going to say, nonetheless, I love you, come and be with me. And what that's going to do, that judgment of my life, is ultimately going to bring glory to God. And so it's in Christ that I'm going to find my salvation, even despite the judgment that is coming into the world. So judgment is one of those things that's actually going to be experienced by all those who actually love Jesus and have given them li- them, their lives to him. Still, they're going to experience something of the judgment. Well, here's another key idea. And I'm going to say almost as much about this as what's on the screen right now. The notion of hell. This is, in fact, coming. And I don't know exactly what to do with it. I've read all kinds of definitions of hell, wrestled with that. What I find most troubling with the notion of hell is how often Christians are themselves troubled by it. Because From what I can tell, hell is not really a possibility for us, is it? Wow, the the silence is deafening. Folks, if I asked the question whether or not hell is really a possibility for us, what would you say? No, it's not. Hell is not a possibility for us because we stand in Jesus Christ. And so I'm not worried about what's ultimately going to happen with the concept of hell. You know, I don't know if hell is going to actually be the, the torment everlastingly that the Bible talks about, or if that's metaphorical. I don't know. I'm not sure if, if hell is actually the notion of separation from God so that I'm not with him in eternity. I'm not sure if hell is just the breaking down and the, the kind of the ultima, ultimizing of broken relationships. I don't know what it is. I can tell you that I don't want it, that I don't want to be there. But I can also tell you that I have no intentions, plans, or expectations that that's going to be my end. All because of Jesus Christ. And so, again, a responsibility comes into our lives. What are we going to do with all of those people who don't know Christ and are separated from him? and who at this point don't have a relationship that will allow them through their own judgment to at the end be granted the good and faithful service claim about them that is going to be made about us by Jesus. And so we, again, are called by the things that are at the end to do something in light of what's coming. A couple more things here, and then we'll be done. God's presence and community on a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There are few promises that are as positive, that are as motivational, I think, in terms of the end impacting us now as this notion that there is at some point going to be this beautiful new creation. There will be a fullness of relationship with God at this point like we cannot possibly conceive. And I'm waiting and and uh, expecting and wanting and ready for this kind of reality to pour over into our lives. And so while I stand in Christ, this is really what I'm expecting and hopeful for. I want to see face to face. I want to have fellowship with those who've gone before me. And I want to have ultimately fellowship with God. And he promises that this is the case for those of us who stand in Christ. And so the last thing here is the notion of our assurance of salvation. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 12 says this, He has saved us, and He has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. He's taking us there. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. And then Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Is, is that how you feel? Like, like here we are in these, in these dark and troubled, anxiety-ridden times. But it's no worse than Paul in prison for Jesus. And Paul says these things. Do you know whom you've believed? And are you convinced that he's able to guard what's been entrusted to him until that day? If you do, then I think you stand in a place of security. You stand in a place of peace and comfort and hopefulness, even at a time like this. And it's because of this kind of anchor point, the expectation of the coming of Christ back into our world to completely redeem us, to bring his kingdom in its fullness together with all its blessings. I pray you're there. If you're not, I really encourage you to be. And I'd like us to pray about that now. Let's pray.
Holy, Holy Father, we praise you and we thank you that one day, maybe soon, that you'll return. And so, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. And in the meantime, help us, Father, to be directing our minds and our hearts, our aspirations, our motivations, our efforts, everything toward the realization and coming of of your kingdom in its fullness. Bless us in these troubled times that will be lifted up and encouraged by you constantly. And help us to use what's coming at the end as a, a source of encouragement and blessing and peace. We pray through Jesus. Amen.